Does your broker tell you they're managing your retirement money on a daily basis? Really? So when they're on vacation, how does that work? Do they have computers doing their job for them? Is that reliable money management? Is it time you learned how to have reliable retirement income, keeping your principal, and protect your gains with a higher income strategy? That's why to tune in to the Total Financial Hour with host Eric Hallaby, Sundays at 11 a.m. Learn about your financial power on the Total Financial Hour, Sundays at 11 a.m. on AM870, The Answer. Financial security will help you live the life you dream. Learn about financial power, the Total Financial Hour. Now higher income strategy. Welcome to the show, the Total Financial Hour. I'm Eric Hallaby. Talking about your family's finances, helping you get out of debt, manage money, plan for your retirement, kind of keeping you out of trouble, really, because that's the key. Now you're retired, you're trying to figure out what does it take to manage your family's life. Well, sometimes in retirement, what are we doing? We're buying real estate, aren't we? And we're doing it in a way in which we say, well, maybe we've already owned it most of our life. Maybe it's something new. Maybe it's part of the five, six, seven income strategies. Because one of the things that you and your family talk about every day is multiple sources of income, or at least it should be, because part of what you're doing is you have a huge issue with saying, okay, I am ready to retire. What if I put all my eggs in one basket, counting on a pension from the city, the county, the state? You have heard me talk about that as an enormous problem. If you are expecting your pension to be the same the day you retire as later on, I don't think it's going to happen. I think your issue is going to be multiple sources of income. Here's what I mean. Uh, Okay, it's nice. Your pension will be there. But the issue is going to be on the other side of it. I like to think 75%. That's it. Count the number, 75%. You get two, three, four sources of income. The pension from a company or city, county, state entity, count on 75% of it coming. If you budget for it, you live on it, life is good. But if you don't and you're, you're spending every dollar that you make coming through that source and something changes, you're going to have a problem. Now, I bring this up because if you remember last week's show, we had a great conversation with Dennis Block, eviction attorney, probably one of the top eviction attorneys in the country, certainly here in the state. He represents you, the landlord. And he says, listen, there are some rules or some things you need to know. And we beat that up pretty good and and heard back from a lot of you, and I appreciate that. So this time, we asked him to come back. And we did for a couple of reasons, because one, I want to get some, as you always heard me say, tips and tricks and ways for you to help yourself manage your real estate so that it can be a viable source of income, specifically here in California. Let me give you the number if you'd like to talk to Dennis directly. It's 888-99-RETIRE, 888-997-3847. That's 8899-RETIRE. Dennis Block, his website, grab a pen, www, of course. Grabbing your pen. You got it? Evict123.com. Evict123.com. Welcome back to the show, Dennis. How are you? Hey, hey, great to be back. Well, listen, uh, one of the exciting, exciting things to have you on with me is to figure out one of the tips and tricks uh, of people that say, and I just met with a couple this week. And I said, Eric, we loved your show, but we are still going to own real estate in California. I have to be able to drive to it in two hours. It's always funny to me because people have these little and, – and listen, you make it up and it's up to you and you can live it. Some say I have to be able to fly to it in, in two hours. Some say I have to drive to it within a day. It has to be a four-hour drive, a two-hour drive. It has to be in the county. Everybody has their own set of rules, so I get it. But there are a lot of folks this week that came to me and said, Eric, we're still going to buy in California. Or I've had a piece of property in our family. It's a duplex. It's a rental property. How do I still own it and not get in trouble financially if my tenant goes sideways? Or worse, the laws change. What do we do? How do we keep in mind to make sure we're protected? Well, if we're going to first start with the issue of general income coming in from rents, and now all of a sudden you have a tenant that is not paying, I see in my practice at least once a month, at least once a month, where a landlord will wait over one year before starting a legal action. It doesn't even surprise me anymore. Why? What's their, they just, they're either afraid to to go forward with it. They're listening to story after story after story from their tenant. 
and they just allowed this to go on. I'm telling you, at least once a month, and we do hundreds of eviction cases, but at least once a month, we'll see somebody wait more than one year before they take legal action. And, of course, the, the media always makes landlords out as the bad guys and the Simon yeah. Legrees and throwing people out. But the truth is, is that most landlords really don't want to take legal action. However, when you have income property, the purpose of having income property, and this is going to be a shocker, is to make income. <laughs> yeah, right. That's, that's what it's all about. So, again, and I said this on the last show, if you want to be charitable, be charitable to your children, your family, uh, close friends, and the city of hope. That's it. Otherwise, if you own income property, ladies and gentlemen, what you need to do is treat it like a business because that's what it is. If you have a tenant who is not paying rent, I would say the most you're going to wait is about 10 days. If your rent is not paid within a 10-day period from when it's due, what the next step you should do is to serve on that tenant a notice to pay rent or quit. That's a three-day notice. It gives the tenant three days to pay you or to vacate the premises. Those forms, of course, are available on my website. But once you serve that notice, if the tenant doesn't comply within the three days, the landlord is duty-bound to then do something. Well, think of it like this, guys. If you own a grocery store and you're out there, and w- would you deal with somebody coming in every day, seven days a week, 365 days a year stealing? Uh, listen, they're only going to – let's say your rent's – let's keep it simple – or $1,000 a month. Would you deal with somebody coming in and they're stealing, oh, I don't know, maybe – worth of stuff from your grocery store, from your liquor store. You own a gas station. You let them, uh, every day you can come and get $40 worth of gas. You wouldn't allow that. And yet we're doing that by allowing them to stay in the house. And now imagine you have rents that are $2,000 a month or three, right? You can do the math, folks. But it goes worse because... It's not like you serve a three-day notice, you contact a law firm to do an eviction, and the tenant is out in two days. Yeah, it's still a process. The tenant gets to continue to steal from you. So, for example, you're right. If somebody is caught stealing something from a store and they're arrested or a legal action is filed, does that mean that that same person can come back the next day, steal more the next day, and steal more? But that's what's happening with with the state of affairs dealing with landlord-tenant issues. So that tenant is then in the house, $2,000 a month. You waited and you served a three-day notice on the 10th of the month, and then you immediately commenced the eviction. An eviction case doesn't take five days. In fact, in most cases, we quote anywhere about four to six weeks if they don't fight us, and eight to ten weeks if they do. And if they do get an attorney, as we were talking about on the last show, and these attorneys are now free in, in L.A. City, uh, then they'll ask for jury trials, and these cases can proceed for months. So the trick for landlords is if you have income property, treat it like the business that it is. Make sure that you immediately commence an eviction if somebody's not paying rent. That's, that's the basis. Now, before I rent to somebody, my goal is to make sure they're a quality person. What is a, a good set of ideas. If I'm sitting down and I'm saying, okay, I may or may not want to rent to you, but here's a list of a checklist that I can be sure that I'm getting a good tenant in the house. Well, even prior to uh, submitting an application for the tenant to fill out, I would question the tenant whether, in fact, why does he want to move here? How many people are going to move in? Uh, Do you have any pets? Uh, And Ask these kinds of questions so that you're already setting yourself up as to the type of person who's going to be moving into your unit. When you have a tenant who will move into your unit and then immediately stop paying rent, your losses are going to be severe. So you must make sure that, number one, go through these questions, then have the tenant fill out an application. We have landlords who do that. They fill out the application and they go, okay, this is fine, but they don't check it. They don't call their previous employer. They don't call their previous landlord. They don't run a credit check, which of course you must do to see what kind of credit that there is. One insidious thing that the state started was that you used to be able to run an eviction check to see if in fact this person had ever been evicted before. 
I don't know about you, but if I knew a person had been evicted before, I personally wouldn't want to rent to them. Sure. So you would be able to do that. But then the law changed. Our wonderful Governor Brown on our state legislature stated that if you're the subject of an eviction case, that case is hidden for the first 60 days. So if you file, no one knows, even though court uh, proceedings are supposed to be open to the public. This is hidden for the first 60 days. Then the law changed. So if a guy was going to move out quickly and he did it within the first 60 days, you wouldn't know because it wouldn't be on his record. But then the law changed. If, in fact, at the end of the 60-day period, the landlord doesn't have a judgment already, then the record is sealed for eternity. So let's pretend wow. Let's pretend the tenant gets it, an it, attorney to so, delay the proceedings. Yeah, I was just going to say, so you're boxed in a corner because... N- the jury trial, once they select that, now that takes forever. Exactly. So now you're at the 61st day, and by our wonderful state legislature and our wonderful Governor Brown, these records are hidden. So while I do recommend that you definitely get a credit check, of course, and you definitely get an eviction check, which you can get through, like, the Apartment Owners Association, uh, what you need to do is take it with a grain of salt. It, that guy might have been evicted 12 times. I've evicted the same person 12 times. Uh, without question. But uh, you got to rely more now on the credit report. I recommend now that on that credit report that you have at least a 650 score before you lease to these people. Does, and, a, does a, an eviction reduce your credit score? So can, we, can yes. we kind of in a roundabout way find out that their credit score is in the tank? Well, there must be a reason for it. Right. They can. It certainly can reduce your credit score because there's going to be a judgment against you. But in a lot of cases... The judgment first comes out as a judgment for possession, and the landlord then has an option of whether to apply for a monetary judgment. But in many cases, landlords say, you know what, I don't want to do it. The guy has no money, which I think is a fallacy. He might not have any money now, but he certainly will have money in two to three to four years, and that's that's when judgments are good for 10 years. But in many cases, landlords don't. So there's no monetary judgment against them, and the eviction is sealed. So it's really a reverse engineering that landlords have so much difficulty trying to select the good tenant. You've got to really rely on that credit report. So our objective as a firm, Total Financial Solutions, we have a a job to do, and that is to protect your monthly income. In other words, we're never going to make you rich. I think any financial professional who says, uh, you know, give me your retirement account, your 401k, your IRA, and we're going to make you wealthy. You'd always ask them to look in the mirror and say, why is this guy still working then? His mother and father should be living uh, very well if he if he still has them. And certainly if he was going to have that kind of power. So we question it. I say, listen, our job is to keep you from being broke. That's what a solid, good financial professional's job is to, to handle your retirement account, get reasonable gains, never lose your principal, get uh, systematic, guaranteed strategic income, meaning it starts at different times. It has different purposes Th- that that matters. But behind the scenes, sometimes folks come to us and they say, Eric, I want you to handle my retirement account. But over here, I've, I have an apartment building or we're going to be inheriting my mother's home and we're going to be selling it and buying another home. So it, when, when folks come to us like that, they have questions. If you have a question right now, give us a call at 888-99-RETIRE. That's 888-99-RETIRE, 888 that's for Dennis Block as we continue with the eviction attorney. That's evict123.com. Evict123.com. Dennis Block is my, ho- is my guest here on, on the Total Financial Hour. Uh, Dennis, look, when clients have a choice, they say, should I buy an apartment building, a multi-unit? Should I buy a four-unit, which stays under the residential rules? Should I get an apartment building, which is you know, 15, 20, 30 units, or a single-family residence? Is it easier more difficult? What has been your experience between the the different choices? Obviously, what decisions you make in purchasing real estate deals with what finances you have and your credit worthiness. I mean, I think that it's best always to get multiple units than a single family home. I think that's a better strategy uh, than uh, trying to just get your rent from one person. Um, And obviously, when you do have multiple units, the issue really should be is to Look at them. Make sure that your rents are at market rate. If you're not under rent control, 
you should definitely be sure that you're checking what your neighbors are charging. Check Craigslist. There's actually a website which I recommend called Rentometer. That's R-E-N-T-O-M-E-T-E-R dot com. You can actually punch in your property address, how many bedrooms it is, that it's an apartment house. They'll do an immediate um, a criteria and search with other apartments in the area and be able to tell you what your apartment's worth. So for those uh, people listening, if you own rental units, first thing, make sure your market, your rents are at market level. Now, if you're in a rent-controlled area, that would mean that you're stuck. There's nothing that you can do because your rents obviously are limited in terms of the percentage that the city allows. For example, in Los Angeles, it's 3%. But are there some tricks to the trade with regard to those? And the answer is, of course. I have clients incredulously call me up and say, Dennis, I'm dying. My rents are so low. It's $672 for a one-bedroom apartment. I'm literally getting $1,800 for the apartment next door. Uh, what can I do? Yeah. And my question to the, to the client will be, well, let me ask a question. Uh, are there any rents owed by this tenant? He goes, oh, sure. He hasn't paid rents for three months. And you want to knock yourself in the head. Right. If you can evict a tenant. Especially the guy who's paying 600 bucks. Get him out can, ASAP. If you can evict a tenant, then you have the right to raise the rent to market level, even in rent control land. That might change with our new ballot proposition 10, the uh, Affordable Housing Act, the Deceptive yeah, Affordable, Affordable Housing yeah. Act. But right now, if you have a ground to evict a tenant, uh, where the rent is low, you should take it, take up, take it up on that. For example, let's pretend this person brought in an extra person. The rental agreement says you can't. That's a wonderful reason to evict, and now you can raise the rent to market. So, value. how do you know if in your rental agreement it says no pets, or you're renting to three people, and all of a the sudden there have been some changes in that rental agreement? What kind of strategies or techniques can we have to figure out whether or not this tenant? Because remember, we can't just come in at any time of day or night. Well, with regard to uh, having a pet like a dog, it's real simple. You sure. go, to the, go to the door and knock on it. The dog's going to bark <laughs> his head off. But people, oh, but I'm just babysitting my cousin's dog. And, and that's fine, but I'm still giving you a three-day notice to get rid of the dog. And if the dog is there at the end of the third day, yes. then uh, that's grounds for eviction. The same thing with people. I have clients, they call, come up, they call me up and they'll say, Dennis, there's an extra person there. So I want to go forward with an eviction. And I'll go, great, no problem. We'll serve a three-day notice to perform or quit. And by the way, all these forms and my rental agreement is on my website. But we'll serve a three-day notice. And if the person is still there at the end of the third day, then we'll be able to evict them and you'll be able to raise the rent. And then, of course, the client will always say, well, but how do I prove it? How do I prove it? And I always come back with this analogy. I go, let's pretend you're standing on a corner and you see a car go through a red light and hit another car. And they run up to you and they say, did you see that? And you say, yes, of course I saw that. The guy went through a red light. Now, does anybody ask you, how are you gonna prove it? Right. You have your eyes. So in that situation, if you can tell that, hey, I see the guy coming and going. I see him using a key to get into his unit. I see him in the morning. I see him in the evening. He drives a yellow Camaro. I see the yellow Camaro is right outside. By the way, ladies and gentlemen, anybody listening, including everybody in this room, I know where your cars are. Your cars are right outside. Wherever you are, your car is. That's right. And if you can determine that this stranger, what car the stranger is driving, then you can determine that, in fact, he's living there. These are wonderful strategies for breaking the lease, and now you have a vacant unit, which now you can raise to market level. And that is, uh, that's key, folks, because part of your retirement strategy is keeping up with inflation, keeping up with property taxes. You understand that it's never going to go down. They're never going to say, well, you know, property taxes, uh, you know, hey, we want to thank you. There is just so much money up here in Sacramento. And if you for a minute believe the BS, if you will, that the governor of California, Governor Brown, has said, we have a budget surplus. He is either, and this is this is with all due respect, and it's a Sunday and I'm trying to be respectful. He is either lying directly, meaning he knows it's not true, or he is incompetent. Now, I, I, I'm not one to say, listen, somebody may have Alzheimer's or they don't or they're incompetent, but he's not a dummy, right? 
he's not a dummy. He's a political uh, savvy individual. And Kevin DeLeon and all of his ilk up there in, in uh, Sacramento, they understand, folks. Just like your financial uh, advisor knows that you do not read the fine print in your prospectus. They know you do not understand your variable annuity. They know you have no clue what kind of fees you're paying. And when they tell you it's $35 a year, you go, oh, uh-huh. Uh, would you work for $35 a year? So you understand that there are groups of people out there that know they're not telling you the truth. So why I bring this up is very clear. Because Governor Brown's focus is for you to think, because he got a cash advance on his credit card, deposited it in his savings account and says, look at how much money is in my bank account. See, California, you guys look over here. Don't pay attention to the right hand. Just look at the left hand. They will never reduce property taxes. They will never reduce the car registration tax. They will never reduce or eliminate the sales tax or income tax until you get them out. And they've built in such a, a depth of expenses. You heard me talk about about a year ago is the latest I have. I doubt that it's much different. But we had an inside report of about 3,000 3,000 extra Caltrans workers. In other words, the jobs were duplicated. The jobs were either eliminated or irrelevant. But 3,000 of them could have been let go, reassigned, given a furlough, doing all sorts of things, and have zero impact in the state. It went all the way up through committees. When it got to the Democrat leadership, they said, you understand these are union votes? So we're not going to support this. They go, but... but it would save the state billions of dollars. Sorry. So they do not care about you. And if you are a landlord, if you are a rich guy, right, as they say, the 1%, there is no difference in class warfare. You have to protect yourself. Using somebody like Dennis Block is key, guys. Dennis Block, evict123.com, uh, evict123.com. Uh, Dennis, we talked about the differences between maybe buying an apartment building versus a single family residence. I've always looked at multiple family units as, uh, you know, if I have a fourplex, for example, and one person doesn't pay, well, that's only 25% of my rent. I still have something that's keeping me afloat. It's like having four engines on a jumbo jet. It gives you a little bit of an extra uh, cushion, if you will. But when you start crossing over four units, you get to five, six, seven. You now, in order to get a loan, if you if you need a loan, you're under the commercial is there a difference in laws and rules between a 15-unit apartment and a four-unit fourplex? Not really. Uh, when you get to 16 or more units, the law does require that you have a resident manager uh, on the property, which obviously is going to affect your income. But from uh, less than 16, then you can manage your own property uh, without any problem and deal with the issues. Have you found that a lot of new construction is coming in at 15 units? No, I think the new construction is they're trying to maximize uh, the land by uh, constructing as many units as they possibly can. Uh, we have, I have a, a family-owned duplex in uh, West Hollywood near La Cienega, and, uh, and the rents are obviously under market uh, due to the fact of how long these tenants have lived there. We just got an offer on this for $3 million, a duplex uh, near Melrose. And the and rents don't substantiate that one bit. Not at all. And the only reason is that they want to tear it down and build like what's going on on that same block. Yes. So it, if I have a unit, I have somebody that's under uh, a lease agreement, and I now receive an offer of $3 million, $2 million, and they want to tear it down and put something else, but somebody is there under contract, what are my options as a landlord? Well, that's, that's actually another strategy for, for the uh, investors out there in real estate. It's called the Ellis Act. And under the Ellis Act, um, the landlord has a right to permanently remove the units from rental housing use. Now, this is another fallacy. I don't know a profession on the earth that can't just say, I want to quit. Right. I just want to quit. Yeah. Now, except for a landlord. A landlord's the only profession. A doctor could quit. I'm not going to do the surgery and I'm retiring. Right. A landlord has to get permission to quit. So if you said, you know what, I don't, 
I, I don't want to sell the building, but I just don't want any tenants. I'm not going to re-rent it. So you have to go through a procedure uh, with, the, with the local municipality dealing with the Ellis Act where you're permanently removing the units from rental housing use. Now, if you're a developer and you're planning on demolishing the place, obviously you're going to uh, remove those units from rental housing use. So that is a strategy that many people are doing. It's getting tougher in Los Angeles because they keep adding on new requirements. For example, if the investor is going to buy this duplex, assuming we decide to sell it, which I probably think we won't, uh, we would have to pay relocation money to these tenants. Which so, could be thousands of dollars. Well, it's going to be. It's $20,000 per unit. Unbelievable. $20,000 per unit. Well, we're going to come back in just a second, folks, as we continue with uh, special guest Dennis Block, eviction attorney extraordinaire, folks. He represents you, the landlord. You go to evict123.com. Stay tuned to the Total Financial Hour. I'm Eric Hallaby. And your place for news, talk, and information. This is AM870, The Answer. It's 888-99-RETIRE. Get in before it's too late. 888-99-RETIRE. Stay with us. I'm Eric Financial security will help you live the life you dream. Learn about financial power, the total financial hour. All right, welcome back to the show. Oh, man, I'm trying to think solutions here. I don't know. Some of them aren't good. How do you protect yourself? How do you make sure that your financial life is secure in retirement? The last thing you want to do when you're 60, 70, 80 is, is go evict somebody and uh, you know, throw their stuff out on the street and have to deal with lawsuits. And they know that these tenants, these perpetual folks, not, not the good ones. Everybody likes a good tenant, right? When you're married, everybody loves to be married on their honeymoon. It's wonderful, right? It's, it's when the problems occur, do you have solutions for those problems? And when the law takes away those solutions, when suddenly you're the bad guy by default, right out the get go, you're the bad guy. Now prove yourself, not the bad guy. The Total Financial Hour. I'm Eric Hallaby. This is AM870, The Answer. We're here with Dennis Block, special guest here, Dennis Block, uh, uh, attorneys, uh, the law office of Dennis Block and Associates. He's an attorney, an eviction attorney specialist. Evict123.com is his website, evict123.com. Okay, uh, if you want to be with us here on the show, let me give you the phone number one more time, 888-99-RETIRE. That's 888-997-3847. You know, Dennis, uh, Barack Lurie was broadcasting earlier from Italy. Uh, and I've spent a lot of time there. I enjoy the place. Nice. Uh, we had a client recently come from Italy, and she inherited her father's computer programming company, and they do computer programming for municipalities in Italy, in a certain part of Italy. I won't get into too much more details, but she inherited the company many years ago. She's very bright in her 30s and really understands programming. She has a group of programmers. And they handle, you know, parking violations and the software, all of that that is done for the municipalities and the city, counties and states, if you will, in Italy. And I said, why are you relocating to California? Why are you considering relocating to California? I said, do you know how bad things are here? She goes, well, let me tell you how they are in Italy. She goes, there, if you want to fire somebody, you have to fire them. They go home and you're still paying them. Then a judge hears your evidence against them. So you go before a judge two, three, four, five months later. They're still being paid. Meanwhile, the job has to be filled, so you have another person there doing that job. So now you're paying two people to do one person's job, and that person's at home. And then the judge, here's your evidence, here's their side. Of course, they're provided counsel. And then the judge says, yes, you can fire them. Or no, you can't. Or yes, you can, but you have to pay them this much severance in addition to what you've paid them for the weeks and months and I thought, that is insane. You mean to tell me that a judge decides whether or not you can terminate an employee? She said, yeah, that's why it's insane. That's why we're coming here. So when you talk about the eviction process, we are one step away from Italy. There is a reason that companies are not adding to their employment in Italy. Because you are literally walking further out on the edge of a branch. Because every once in a while, employees, whether they're good or not, been with you for a long time or not, this is a, her saying this, in Italy, well, they decide that they want a vacation. And it's funny how many times at the beginning of summer people do things to get terminated. 
I said, what do you mean? She goes, oh, well, because they just take the summer off and they go on holiday and they travel, but they're getting paid. So when we think about that process, if you're a business owner, if you're an employer, you think, well, that's insane. How could that be? But I don't see a difference between that and the landlord world. Tell me, are, are we at that door where a judge now says... Where there is literally a campaign, a tenants movement that is sweeping up and down the state of California to see how many governmental regulations can be put on landlords. And again, as we discussed this last week, why all of a sudden are landlords considered the one industry that needs regulations beyond anybody else? Why rent control uh, or price fixing that is put on our industry versus no other industry? Uh, a uh, radio talk show host can make as much money as he wants. There's no limitations. Uh, but yet uh, the landlords are told what they can charge for their goods and services. It's insanity. So now San Francisco, here's the uh, devil's advocate here. San Francisco comes along and says, well, you know, you don't understand. For a one-bedroom, one-bath, it's $3,000. That's why we have homelessness everywhere. These people can't afford to live here. So your argument is? What? My- <laughs> yeah. Well, my my argument is is that the market, our free economy, determines what prices should be for goods and services. So, That's, where's the lady who works at the fast food restaurant supposed to live? Well, then she needs to find work. She needs to have family members to live with, or or have roommates to live with. Uh, and obviously, you're not going to live in the best of areas. But that's just that's just the way it is. Or you commute. That's why there's uh, public transportation. You commute from the outlying areas where. The bedroom communities are specifically designed to be bedroom communities. That's why. Right. But it's not it's not our job to figure out everyone else's problems. It's our job to figure out our own problems. We need to take care of our own family. We need to be concerned about our own lives as opposed to having government step in and saying that we need to concern ourselves with every single aspect of a person's life. Well, Dennis, this uh I don't have family. My family's not here. Uh, I moved from Iowa. Uh, I, I'm new to the area. I'm scared. What, what can I do? And the answer in that situation is there are social services that should be able to protect certain people under certain circumstances. But as we discussed with regard to rent control, rent control is not meted out based on need. It's given to everybody, whether you need it or not. The person who has a Santa Monica apartment. That's what's apartment, insane to me. The person who has a Santa Monica apartment that he had for 30 years and it's $672 and he can walk to the beach and he's protected. And that guy also owns a million-dollar mansion in Brentwood. That's right. Well, but he can keep both because he's a protected tenant. So it doesn't matter where you have rent control is, is a – devised for anybody. It has nothing to do with the need. And also, as we discussed, it's one person supporting another person that the landlord is donating his money to this one person, at least with social welfare, it's spread between the entire populace of voters. So we always try to understand the other side, the enemy, right? Sun Tzu will tell you about this. Try to think of what, think how they're thinking. Of course, you guys know I'm summarizing. (laughs) Think what Sun Tzu, what he said. What does the enemy, what is the other side thinking so that I can undo it or combat it? So what is the other side thinking? Are they thinking, well, we're going to keep housing at a repressed rate? We're going to lower the value, the cost of housing? Is that what they're thinking? It's the nanny state where the government is supposed to take care of every need that a person has and make them dependent upon the government. And then this way they're ensured that they'll stay in power. So we have seen people as part of our solution to this uh, problem. We have seen folks make a decision to transfer their rent outside of California. In other words, they're selling their apartment buildings. They're selling their houses. They're relocating that real estate. That's the reason that Dallas area real estate, Arizona, Phoenix, that's the reason that uh, Prescott, Arizona is going through the roof, and as well as, of course, Las Vegas and its surrounding areas. Fly into Las Vegas. If you haven't been there for a while, fly in on a sunny day and take a look. It looks like the old Antelope Valley where it used to be houses here, and then all of a sudden one day it, you know, the houses go to the edge of the desert just about. It's the same thing when you fly in over Las Vegas. At one time it was 
you know, a few houses outside of the main strip. Today, it's it's 15 miles to the north, 20 miles to the west, to the east, I should say, and, and up to the mountains on the west. Everywhere there's housing. How are they getting away with not having the type of rent control? They must they must be mean to poor people. Well, obviously, I think their position is is that they're allowing the free market to take its course, and therefore people will have housing based on allowing people to build more houses. Listen, the more apartments you build, okay, then that makes the supply greater. If the supply is great, then demand will be lower, and that brings the prices down. But when you put rent control in its place, it certainly doesn't stimulate building, especially with this new Proposition 10, the Affordable Housing Act, if that passes, you're going to stunt growth of apartments in this state like you cannot believe. And what what does that mean? That means that the supply will go down and the prices will go higher. And also, as we stated, that the person who does move into a unit and is paying market rent, his rent's really higher. He's really supporting that guy who's in the one of those units at $672 because the, the landlord's got to get his fees. You know, if I didn't know better, I'd say you were talking about health insurance. <clears throat> Sorry, guys. You're looking at me paying $3,200 a month. Three years ago, I paid $870 a month. And they said, well, Arif, you know, you, you have to support that guy who, who uh, you know, he doesn't, uh, you know, that poor fellow. I'm like, are you, are you kidding me? Oh, my gosh, the insurance companies must have been suffering so greatly three years ago. They barely survived. But now you, it's the same thing, you guys. When you take away the incentive, when you remove the incentive to make money, people will not do it. We are not communism. A friend of mine grew up in Cuba up till about six years old, and then he fled with his family to southern uh, uh, Florida and then up to New York. And uh, when they opened it up for the first time, I think it was under Bill Clinton's administration, when they opened up uh, Cuba for the first time for relatives, family, friends, and he was very, very wealthy and successful. He had made it. But this man was in his 50s now, maybe even 60s. And he goes down to Cuba, and he's visiting family and friends, and of course he looks like his father, so everybody's hugging him. Oh, my gosh, you look so... uh, I remember you when, and you know those stories. So after a couple of days... He realized, uh, you know, first of all, he realized immediately they didn't have updated appliances. And, uh, but he would drive by and he would see storefronts filled with new dishwashers and refrigerators, but none of his family had them. He said, no, no, that's for you can't even walk in there unless you had special permission from the Communist Party. I said, are you kidding? He said, no. I said, well, but you as a visitor. Yeah, yeah, I'm a, I'm a visitor. I'm allowed to go in there. I said, wow. I said, so after a few days, well, you know, what was happening? He said, well, you know, I'm, I'm watching. They're all happy to see me. And he said he went to them and he felt bad. He said, listen, you guys, you can go to work tomorrow. Don't worry about me. I'll be around. I'm just going to walk around and see things. I'd love to visit. Uh, and they said, no, 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 you don't understand. Uh, we're going to get paid no matter what. He said, oh, you guys have vacation time? They said, no, no, no. We pretend to work and they pretend to pay us. So it doesn't change. <laughs> we don't do anything when we're there anyway. They give us the same amount regardless of who I am. If one of them was a physician and made the same amount of money as another person who worked in the government bakery. So when he went and purchased uh, dishwashers and, and refrigerators for the family, which cost peanuts compared to the United States, they were all made in, in the Soviet Union uh, or Russia, whatever it was at the time. And, and as he saw that, and he was able to see the true definition of socialism. And that is a reduction of goods and services, a reduction of the will of people to want to be better, a stunting of the growth of the economic activity. Look, Total Financial Solutions, that's our firm. We do this. If you'd like to be a client, if, we, if you think we can help you, I would love to do that. But I don't want you to forget something, that the, the success for you and your family, you have achieved it based on your habits, based on the career you've chosen, based on a few decisions, believe it or not, probably two, three, four decisions in your entire life dictated where you are today wealth-wise. But if you don't understand how to retain that wealth, if you think the same risk and the same decisions you made way back when are the same you should be making when you're 60, 70, 80, then I think you're misled. And I think you're misled by those that are that are making money off of you being misled, right? There, there are folks whose decisions 
it is to say, how do I create wealth off of your money? We call those fees one, one and a quarter, two percent. Just this week, 3.75% in fees. Now you might say, oh my gosh, Eric, that's ridiculous. She had a little over $100,000 in her account and was paying $320 a month in fees. Now she was pulling $500 a month out to live because the broker said, oh, if you pull 5%, you could live nicely. Okay, well, that's not a bad formula. I mean, it's a little high, a little low. Based on your age, it's okay. But she wasn't pulling 5%. She was pulling 5 plus the 3 So how quickly is her money going to disappear when she's really withdrawing 8%? What would you say? Maybe 15 years, maybe 12 if you're lucky. So be very careful. Real estate is a part of that, but don't get scammed. You need to talk to somebody like Dennis Block. Dennis, let's finish up with a couple of nice little tips for folks. Number one, there's you have a phone number that we can reach out to you. Sure. It's 1-800-77-EVIC. That's E-V-I-C-T. And with one of the strategies and tips, so you are a landlord, you're under rent control, your rents are low, Uh, you understand that, in fact, if the tenant was doing something wrong, that you would immediately commence an eviction case, vacate the unit and raise the rents. But what if the person is not doing anything wrong? Is there anything that you could conceivably do to boost the income? Now, you can't make a side deal with this tenant, that would be illegal. Uh, Even if he agreed to pay more money, that's terrible strategy. But there is something that a lot of my clients do. It at first blush seems crazy, but in, if you think about it, it's really a very smart strategy. And that is you pay them to move as we call them cash for keys, or we prepare an agreement called the voluntary vacate agreement. And the process is like this. Let's pretend you have a unit where the unit is, $700. You could easily get $1,700. So you're looking at $1,000 loss per month that you could be making. Would it be a smart strategy to walk over to this tenant and say, hi, I'm willing to give you $20,000 to move. Now, at first blush, you would think, Jesus, that's insanity. But let's think it. Let's do the math. If you evict this tenant and you pay $20,000, you have your return of investment back in 20 months. And then from that point on, you have $1,000 a month for the rest of your life. Now, if someone walked up to you, Arif, and said to you, hey, I got a deal for you. You give me $20,000 and I'll give you a return guaranteed $1,000 a month for the rest of your life. You would take that deal in a second. All day long. All day long. Well, I don't have that deal. But so many landlords out there have that deal. Now, if you're going to evict somebody or do a voluntary vacate agreement with somebody and you're going to get an extra $300, that's a whole other story. Right. That's a small number. But, but, and you have to adjust accordingly. But I have had clients give 20000 40000 The most we've given, it didn't make sense to me, but I have a very shrewd investor client. He gave seventy thousand dollars for a tenant to move and of course the other side of the coin is if if i tend to buy and hold for my properties just my style but a lot of people will sell a property you know and do a 1031 exchange etc but think about the value of the of the the building if you can raise one apartment a thousand dollars and buildings are going for 18 19 times gross. That's right. You've increased the value of that building by hundreds of thousands of dollars by so, that one tax. You're right. So that's also an, a very important strategy is to do a voluntary vacate agreement. Of course, that's what we do in our office. So uh, part of the strategy, guys, is for you to look and see, does it make sense? Now, the clients have to come up, uh, the, the tenant, the, the landlords have to come up with $20,000, whether it's from their savings uh, they're, you know, they've got to come up with the cash. So you've got to do the math on this. But here's what I'm finding. At least the last few weeks, a lot of folks, they owe almost nothing. A hundred thousand, two hundred thousand on a two million dollar building. It's it's worth so much greater compared to what they owe on it. A 1031 exchange is a good possibility. But part of that, let's explain that to them. What do they have to do in order to exchange that building? Many of those folks, if you're down that low in in cost basis, you're probably just about run out of depreciation anyway. Exactly. 
So what is the a strategy? What well, is the that strategy exchange? obviously is that you're going to find a building of equal or higher value. And then you'll have 60 days to basically purchase that building and do the exchange where it will not be considered a taxable event. Uh, so you're just basically moving money from one building to another. But generally, the way the investors are doing it, they're moving from a smaller building to a bigger building to a bigger building. And that's the way wealth is created for many people. It's the game of Monopoly, if you've ever seen that game. And, and of course, one of my favorite games, the Rich Dad, Poor Dad game. Uh, consider that. It's one of the, uh, the Rich Dad, Poor Dad is basically one of the concepts that changed my life. If you know my story from the 1990s, uh, it made a huge difference in my, in my life. When we talk about commercial real estate, something like a 50, 60 unit apartment, maybe greater, we have clients in West LA, and they're considering now turning it into condos. That's one of those, in other words, they're not going to tear it down. They got to make some changes, of course, do a few upgrades, whatever the differences might be. Have you seen that happen? And is that a strategy that a lot of folks are doing to get out of it? It is. Most of the ones we're seeing are where they're going to demolish the building as opposed to convert. It was a lot, um, it happened much lo- much more in the more 90s common, in, sure. the two, in, the, in the beginning of the year 2000. But now people are just tearing down. You can convert, but again, you're still going to be having to pay for each unit relocation money anywhere from ten to $20,000 per unit, depending on whether the tenant has children or is over 62 years of age or based on income level. So, But the strategy now for the investors is to find yourself a, a, uh, a property that would support much more units tearing it down, and building. And that's going up as well as reduction of square footage. Going up, reduction of square footage, subterranean parking, so you have it all together. And are we finding that in the city of Los Angeles, is it easier to build these days? My understanding before is that getting a building permit in the city of L.A. uh, was near impossible. Might as well part the Red Sea while you're at it. Nothing has changed. Uh, There are so many obstacles. The city, on one hand, will say, gee, we don't have enough housing. We don't have enough housing. And then they're sitting there on every turn of the way trying to create more requirements, more regulations. We were redoing a house that I had for my son. It, it, I cannot tell you the amount of things the building inspectors were requiring from from having – uh, hookups for an electric car in my garage for no particular reason. We don't own an electric garage, electric car, yet we have to have a hookup in the garage because we were redoing this. For Are you serious? I'm serious. And they also wanted electrical connections. You know, you have to have 220 volt for, for, the for an electric car. car. Sure. They also wanted electrical connections for solar panels on the roof or, or the way that the, the wiring so that we could put solar panels on the roof, even though we weren't putting solar panels on the roof. Folks, uh, stay tuned for next week. We're going to get into some of the scams and frauds of solar panels and recycling. Now, uh, I know that you're going, some of you, especially some of you staunch conservatives, yeah, 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 but I love solar panels. Do you have any idea the toxic waste that comes from those, which to this day has zero solution, <laughs> meaning the amount of toxic, toxic waste created by the solar panels far outweighs the benefit of electricity. So please pay attention to next week's show because we're going to get into some of the the scams and, and ideas of recycling and how it takes more energy to recycle than it does and how we actually have, and this is old data, meaning I think it's greater today, about 500 years worth of landfill space before we ever have to have any kind of strong solution down the road of, of recycling. I'm not saying we don't recycle still, right? But you need to understand the facts. Get away from the hype. And we're seeing how that hype and the the amazing marketing and trick the tricks that you find deep in the world of some of these politicians and where where it lands itself is in the remodeling of your house and all of a sudden you're stuck having to follow down some path of whether it's some global warming right i remember in fact i have in my office a framed picture from newsweek in the 1970s it said global cooling the new ice age and it cited facts and figures and statistics. It had pictures and drawings. said every scientist believes global cooling. Then I remember a short time after that, it was the killer bees. 
Brazil. They had graphs of these bees swarming up through Central America. Do you guys remember Mad Cow? Maybe it's the avian flu. Ah, it has to be. It's just me. It has to be that these things we must have cured. Or is it just the liberal media's hype? But you've now seen it dictate policy and direct the Democrat politicians. Listen, I used to be one, right, guys? I came out of UCLA as a Democrat, and, and it was very difficult to undo that because I felt instead of thought, and I changed who I was. I want you to do the same, folks. You have any questions, though? You can give us a call at 888-99-RETIRE. We're there all this week. 888-99-RETIRE. You can also get a hold of Dennis Block. Let me give you his phone number. It's 800-77-EVICT. 800-77-EVICT. Or go to his website at evict123.com. Thanks for listening. I'm Eric Hallaby. Thanks, Dennis, for being here. And thanks for having me. My pleasure. That's Dennis Block, an associate's eviction attorney. Evict123.com. That's his website. Thank you for listening. The Total Financial Hour. This is your place for news talk information. Aim 70 the answer. Learn about financial power, the total financial hour. Now Arif has a plan for me, higher income strategy. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.